Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, and on this week's episode, I share the latter half of the interview that I did uh, recently. And uh, if you tuned into last week's midweek mini episode, I jammed on why it's why if it's lonely at the top, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> uh, it was a great little episode about uh, success. And the misconceptions that many people buy into, the beliefs that many people buy into around success. So if you missed that, definitely go tune into it. But this week is all about purpose. So on this one, I break down the three structures of purpose and talk about why it's so important uh, and really give some tangible tools for you to start to look for where purpose is residing in your life and how you might be sabotaging or breaking down purpose uh, based on the based on the structure that I lay out here. So this is a great resource. Uh, stay tuned. And uh, just a quick reminder to head on over for all the guys, head on over to Facebook and join the Man Talks community on Facebook. We've got some great conversations going on there. Uh, and don't forget to apply for the men's weekends. We have completely sold out the one that it's happening uh, this upcoming weekend from May 17th. It's totally full, but we have a wait list for the other weekends. We're going to be launching and announcing two, maybe even three other men's weekends for this year as we have had a huge, huge amount of guys that have been applying for these. So we're going to have one more on the West Coast, one on the East Coast in upstate New York, and uh, maybe one more mystery one since we've had a, a good amount of demand. But uh, thanks so much for everybody that has been interested in that. And guys, looking forward to working with you in person. Uh, some great stuff is coming out for the men's work and the men's work weekend. Connor, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Awesome. I was just I mentioned this in the pre-roll, but I've been like taking in so much of your content lately. I can't wait to dive in. So I, I got to kick the show off by saying congrats on your recent marriage. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, about like two and a half, well, three weeks ago now. Yeah, it's still going. It's still going swimmingly. I I, yeah. I would assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, i i made the uh, I made the blessing and the curse of of marrying a, a marriage and family therapist. So we are all about relationships in our home and uh, having exceptional relationships. And uh, I figured, what's the best way to level up? Well, it's to it's to marry someone who's not going to let you get away with anything <laughs> yeah, yeah. so yeah but it's uh it's been amazing so far and uh we didn't take a honeymoon yet that's gonna happen okay. in november yeah um but yeah things are amazing oh are do you mind sharing where you're gonna honeymoon yeah no problem so we're actually gonna head out to patagonia um oh, wow. i right yeah i i'm cool. a big yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's not like a normal traditional place that most people would go on their honeymoon. You know, most people go to like the beach and and whatnot. But um, I'm a big hiker. I love the mountains. And uh, in Patagonia, there's a really incredible mountain range called Torres del Pine, and it's one of the best places to go hiking. And there's some really cool um, locations around there to stay. And we happened to find one that we both absolutely loved. And so we're going to go there for seven days. And then, um, the second part of the trip will probably be, uh, heading off to one of the islands on South America or, you know, go over to 
uh, Chile. We're, we're, we're undecided on the second part of the, of okay. the honeymoon. That's awesome, yeah. man. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, I don't, that's amazing. Very cool. And like I said, congrats. So I've been married for, I just celebrated, Rachel and I just celebrated our 10th anniversary. And uh, I can say marriage is like the greatest thing ever. I just, it's been amazing. And, and uh, hopefully you can, you have an amazing experience. So it's, uh, yeah. it is an amazing thing. So wonderful well congrats yeah yeah, yeah. 10 oh, years yeah. 10 years is no is no joke that's yeah, a good accomplishment 10 years is now we got it we need to like get serious because we always thought you know we'd probably have kids and we've just freaking had a blast for 10 years and um <laughs> so i just turned 40 and we just celebrated 10 years and i'm like man i gotta get my act together and if we're gonna or or i guess we just continue to have a blast and and don't worry about it but yeah it's uh yeah it's that's that's the only only drawback is you have to start weighing like I don't know. It's uh, you have to start weighing kind of amazing option, options because you're going to enjoy just being married and like no kids. And then you ha- but you, you know, I'm, I've, I've heard in your podcast you mentioned kids. So that's why I say that, like that balancing act is is interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And it's and it, and it definitely is. Uh, you know, it's like, how do we I hear a lot of couples going through this because statistically, the couples and people in general are waiting until later and later in life to actually have kids. And so 50 years ago, the average age I think was like 23 or 24. And the, the average age has now spiked up to like 31, I believe. And so more and more people are waiting until later in life. And I think for most of them, it's because of that exact thing. It's like, look, I'm really having fun or I don't feel prepared at all, (laughs) which is like, that was my case. I was like, I don't, I don't feel prepared at all for this. Um, which I don't think most people do. Um, and, and so people just, you know, they hold off until they feel a little bit more established or they can go and do the traveling. And I think it's, it's an interesting question of how we, you know, Vienna and I have always talked about how do we integrate the fun of, of, you know, not parenting, not being parents into the life of when we do have kids. And I think that that's a, that's a healthy mission that we're going to undertake. So hopefully others have, have undertaken that mission. I definitely have some friends that have done it very gracefully. So yeah, yeah, no, no doubt it can be done. Yeah. So so I'm dying to, I'm dying to pick your brain on this. So I've listened to, you mentioned a few times, um, in different, in kind of different podcast recordings and your TEDx, but you've said that, um, you hate the phrase that it's lonely at the top. Mm. Um, I, I can attribute that to you, that that rings a bell. I'm not totally catching you off guard, am I? No, not at all. So why uh, why do you hate that phrase? Why do you hate the phrase, it's lonely at the top? Uh, you know, anytime that we have these these types of sayings, they create a belief structure within our minds conceptually. And so when people hear that, they often buy into it. And what that does is it tells people that in order to be successful, they have to accept loneliness, that in order to reach the top of whatever success looks like for them, whether it's financially in their career and the business that they build in their you know health and fitness, uh, if they want to run marathons and whatnot, what that tells them is that, hey, in order for you to get there, what you have to sacrifice is human connection and love and community. And, and that when you reach the top, <laughs> this is the most screwed up part for me. The, the part of that messaging that's the, that's the most uh, harsh is that, is that what it tells people is that when you reach the top, you are inevitably going to be missing something. 
and that something that you're going to be missing is human connection. And what we know, the science of, of what creates healthy long-term lives, there's a great study out of Harvard recently that was done over 75 years, and it followed people around. And over the course of those 75 years, what they were trying to find out is what's the most important thing for happy, healthy, long relation, uh, not, not long relationships, but long life. And the majority of the candidates they followed were actually men. And so what they did was a, a two-part study. Some of the some of the men were from Harvard and some of the men were from the surrounding area. And they followed them and their families over the course of 75 years. And this study is still going on, by the way. But after 75 years, what they found was the greatest, the single greatest predictor of happiness, of long-term life, of a decrease in uh, in heart issues, in cancers, in high blood pressures, uh, in depression, in anxiety, the number one predictor of a happy, healthy life was our relationships, was the quality of our relationships. And so as A-type people, as very success-driven and goal-oriented people, what, what we often do is we say, okay, well, it's going to be lonely at the top, so I better start sacrificing that now. And the, the challenge is that so many people get stuck in this belief system that doesn't work and they get to achieving their goals, right? Maybe they set the goal of starting a company that reaches seven figures and they start the company and it takes them five years and they finally reach the seven figure mark and they get to what they would consider as the top. And they get there and they're like, wow, it really is lonely at the top because they bought into that before they even started the journey. And then, and then what do they do? Well, they perpetuate that same notion. And we know that this is unhealthy. We know that this uh, notion, that this belief, that this sort of phrase is unhealthy. And I have been a huge advocate. I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, I really have spoken out against it because I think it's bullshit. And I think that we can change that and say, you know, who do I want to bring with me to the top? When I am standing on my Everest in my life, who do I want to be standing next to me? Because even with that analogy of climbing Everest, you can't do it alone. You legitimately can't. There are people that go with you, even if it's a Sherpa or a guide, there are, there are people that have to rise with you to the top. And so I'm so I guess I'm very passionate about that because I've, I have seen far too many people reach the top, have their version of success, reach their their sort of Everest and feel like shit and fall very quickly from the top of their mountain because there's no one there supporting them. So it's lonely at the top's kind of a, you know, kind of a cliche saying, you know, that's been around forever. Did you just think of that saying one day and you're just like, that's bullshit? And you just like, when, when was this dawning? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was actually in my um, in my previous career. So in my 20s, uh, I actually went and got a degree in music and in opera performance. And I was an opera singer for a few years. And I remember we had one of the one of the, like the most famous, uh, famous uh, American uh, classical singers come in and lead a workshop and they they said this they said it's lonely at the top and at the time I bought into it and you know I started to go through my career and and travel around the world and and that thought had always stuck with me and when I left that career and you know spent two and a half years doing self-development and studying psychology and studying 
Jungian psychology and positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy, I started to see that 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 narrative, that story that we tell ourselves is so detrimental to people's well-being in the in the long term. And so later on in life, I, you know, when I started leading workshops and coaching people, um, I heard this saying again of it's lonely at the top. And I was, I remember I was at a conference probably about three or four years back and somebody said that. And in the VIP dinner, I was sitting there and I, I just, I couldn't listen to it. And I actually spoke out against their person. I was like, no, that's such garbage. Like that's a belief that you bought into and it's bullshit. And it's, it's one of the reasons, one of the things that it's inevitably going to hold you back. And I said, if you are in this room and there was a room of like 300 entrepreneurs, I said, if you are in this room. Just know that it's lonely at the top is a conscious freaking choice and it doesn't have to be. And we have to stop perpetuating these unhealthy narratives as entrepreneurs and as professionals that you have to be alone to be successful. It's garbage. It's unhealthy. And it's perpetuated by people that maybe sacrificed too much or sacrificed what they didn't want to sacrifice in order to have success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you think? Um, I mean, they're just spitballing here. So how do you think like high performers can ensure that, you know, it's not lonely at the top once they get there? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So one of the things that we can start to look at is building our own team and, you know, executives, athletes, uh, a, a lot of people have to they're sort of forced into this place of building their teams. The, the challenge is that most of us spend the majority of our time building our teams within our business or building our sports team or building, you know, the, the team of our family. And what we what we really can start to do is shift our attention of how do I build my own personal board of directors, the people that I can surround myself with? Like I just led a workshop in uh, D.C. in Washington, D.C. for a group of entrepreneurs And one of the things that we talked about, you know, we've all heard the saying, you are the total sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The challenge is that most people don't actually optimize or, or, or sort of maximize the potential of the five people that they spend the most time with. They're not very intentional about it. And so what we can start to do is say, okay, how do I build my board of directors? How do I build my own personal team, the people, the, the three to five people that I am going to let m- give me relentless feedback? I'm going to let them support me. I'm going to let them love me. I'm going to let them be the cheerleaders in my corner. And I'm going to commit wholeheartedly to doing the exact same thing for them. Because the, the challenge is most of us say, oh, it's, I'm so busy that I don't have time to really support other people. Or I'm so busy, I don't have time to really let other people support me. And what we can do is we start to carve out specific time to join a group to you know create those types of connections with our life and to really be committed and intentional about building those types of relationships. And when we can do that, we start to shift the narrative so that mm-hmm. wherever we are on the journey, we're being intentional about saying, here are the three to five people that I'm going to trust implicitly with my life, with my relationships, with my mental and emotional health. When when I am out of line, I'm going to trust them to call me forward. And I'm going to trust them to 
be in my corner so that I don't have to feel shame for asking for help or support. I don't have to feel like I'm broken or that I'm failing because I need a little bit of a pick me up on a certain day when everything seems to be raining down upon me, right. you know, which, which inevitably happens as high performers. There's going to be days where it just all comes pouring in. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, so many times, like how often do you hear of people who like reach some, you know, out of this world goal, like, I don't know, climbing a huge mountain or selling their business for, you know, a huge exit or, or achieving a business goal in sales that, you know, they thought was a, you know, a huge goal or, you know, finishing a marathon or whatever it is. So they, they achieve their monster goal or what mm. they thought was a monster goal. And then, you know, it's like inevitable. The next reaction with like almost anyone, as long as they're a human is like, what now? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't yeah. quite what it was all. And it's almost like lonely at the top is almost like, uh, could almost be, as I like, I'm just staring at it on my computer screen. It's like lonely at the top's almost like, um, you know, be careful. It's almost more about the journey than it is about, you know, uh, you know, the final destination, because I don't know, is it, I don't know. Does that well, make any sense? Totally. It totally makes sense. And the, the challenge is, is that for many of us, it can be, this narrative can become the deterrent from our own success. It can be the thing that subconsciously or unconsciously prevents us from truly chasing our dreams because the risk and reward doesn't equal out, right? The, mm -hmm. the sacrifice and reward doesn't equal out. Mm -hmm. And this is the conflict that many people have when they look at uh, the the goals and the dreams that they actually have for themselves they look at them and they say okay i want to build this company i want to run this race i want to you know become this artist whatever it is and they start to pursue that and in the back of their mind is the chirping of when i get there what will i have had to sacrifice because success comes with a price tag and for many people, they don't want to look at the price they have to pay in order to have that success. And the, the reality is, is that we need to come to terms with the price that we're willing to pay. And for many people, because they believe, because we've sort of been indoctrinated from the old, you know, the old guard, the old generation, um, that, that it's lonely at the top, that plays in our script, that plays in our mind. And so when we start to look forward to our goal, to that you know, Everest moment, we start to believe that, okay, I'm going to have to pay the price of getting there and being alone. But I have all of these great people in my life and I don't want to leave them behind, right? I have these great friends who I love spending time with and I don't want to sacrifice that. And so we have to be able to intentionally design our trajectory and our Everest. And we have to be able to say who's going to be our Sherpa, who's going to be on this trek with me? Who, who do I want to actually take with me to the top to, you know, to push them and have them push me? And I, I think the other, the other important piece about this is that when we, and if we get to the top, and, and I just want to say that like so many of the people that come and work with me are people who have rode this, rode this train and, and, and believed in this belief in some capacity mm -hmm. and they've had success and they've got to the top and for whatever reason, they're like, something's missing and I have no idea what it is, but I feel like there's this empty part in me. I've made the million dollars. I've built the, you know, hundred million dollar company. I've made the exit and, and now I feel like something's missing because it's not what I expected it to be or, 
Or once it's done, once they've reached their goal, there's this huge void that shows up of, well, now what? Now what? Right? People plan for the exit, but they don't plan for after the exit. And this is where, this is where our, our friends and our family and the five people that we spend the most time with are so absolutely freaking crucial. Because when you do make the exit, when you do reach the, the pinnacle of the mountain, if you are standing there by yourself and you start to descend the mountain, that's the loneliest part. That's the hardest part. Because now your identity that you've you know, spent the last 10 years pouring into your company and building this incredible mission that you've now sold off and exited and you leave that, if you're not prepared for what's after the exit, that can create a huge amount of turmoil and, and depression and anxiety, and it can be a really challenging space. But if we are surrounded by people because we have uh, by really great people because we have intentionally climbed that mountain and reached that goal, then the descent is a little bit easier because at least we have people there to pick us up sometimes and, and dust us off and say like, you're going to get through this and you're going to be okay. And it might suck right now, but you're going to find your next peak. You're going to find your next Everest and I'm going to be beside you the entire way. Yeah, no, I love that. That's great. No, that's, that's really good. Let me ask you, I've heard you talk a lot about kind of men craving freedom and that being something that, that they crave. Why, why is that? Why do you think men particularly crave freedom? Yeah, it's a good question. So a big part of our natural desire when it comes to freedom is that there is some connection to our sense of purpose, right? So when we have found a, a sense of purpose in life, it oftentimes comes with the sense of freedom. We, we usually feel up until that point like we are not free in some way. If we're not living with purpose, if we aren't aligned to our inherent values and our mission and we're not living authentically, we don't feel free. We feel caged and trapped and we feel stuck in other people's beliefs or what other people have wanted for our lives. And part of the freedom that we seek uh, as men or as part of the freedom that the masculine seeks within all of us is to really be able to create and order and structure our own lives. And the reason why we desire that is no one really, not no one, but most people don't want other people to tell them what to do. And men especially, <laughs> men for the large part especially don't want people to tell them what to do. And so there's this huge sort uh, there's this huge sort of rejection of having other people tell us what to do. Now here's the here's the catch twenty two of freedom is that we can find freedom within the structure of order, and we can find freedom within the structure of commitment. And so oftentimes when a man is seeking freedom, you know, and he has bought the one way ticket to Thailand and he's just traveling the world aimlessly and he's got this what externally would look like absolute freedom, right? No responsibility whatsoever, mm -hmm. no plans, no, uh, no direction, nothing holding him down. That is usually where he 
that's usually where he feels almost the most lost because for many of us, we have to go on this journey to find freedom within order, within structure, within creativity. And so we, we crave that freedom naturally because it's a sign for us as men specifically that we have started to take our own destiny in some way, shape or form into our own hands. And it's a, it's a signpost that we have said, okay, I'm going to take my life into my own hands. I'm going to stop letting other people tell me exactly what I should be doing or how I should be doing it or where I should be living or how I should be living. And I'm going to start to figure out what it is that I actually want for myself and my life and my relationship. And when we do that, there is a resemblance of freedom. And and that's actually what we are craving. Behind the freedom that we are seeking as men is the desire to have our own direction and to not have our lives directed by other people. Do you think women also crave freedom? Yeah, I think I think women often crave freedom in a in a different way, and it's a bit of a generalization, but they definitely do. Um, it just shows up in in different ways, and we can see this, you know, largely in how. Uh, women have been socially um, cultured and, and indoctrinated and the values that we put on men versus women, women societally, right? So men are largely performance-based objects and there is a lot of pressure and a lot of emphasis that is put on men to perform, whether that's to perform in the boardroom or in the bedroom or you know, within what they do as a father or as a husband. But we put a lot of pressure on men, as men especially, to perform. And for women, culture and society has put a lot of pressure on them to conform to being beauty objects. And so there is a, a, a lot of conformity within the, the female world around having to conform to certain beauty norms. And so for a lot of women, part of the, part of the freedom that they often seek is internally the desire to move to a space of really being able to love themselves in a way where they can feel whole and connected and and they can let go of the societal beauty norms that are sort of pressed upon them by mainstream media and cultures and religions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's the type of freedom that that they often seek is the is the ability to reach a place where they define their own beauty. They create their own beauty standards. And we can see this in the last few decades where there's this huge movement for women to reclaim their own versions of what beauty actually is and for them to define it, to not have men defining it for them, um, but for them to actually come to come to grips or come to the plate and say, here's how I define it. And here's how, here's what I think beauty actually is for me. And I find freedom in that. And so that's, I think that's how it largely shows up for women. Um, it can definitely show up in other ways and I'm not a woman, so I don't have all the answers of how that would show up. Um, but that's how I've seen it show up. And, and that's how my, my wife has talked about freedom showing up for, for her specifically. You mentioned not if you feel like you're not aligning to a purpose. If somebody feels that way in their life, like they're not aligned to their what they're meant to be doing or to their purpose, do you have any tips or tricks on <laughs> that seems shady <laughs> tips or tricks. Do you have any five-step process too? Uh, what, what questions or, or what, what would you maybe guide somebody through if they were struggling to find their purpose and they came to you? Would you have any insight to how yeah. they could? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a huge component of 
the work that I do with men, um, you know, whether it's one-on-one or in the men's weekends that I run because purpose is something that, that a lot of us are looking for, you know, more and more statistically, especially with millennials, they are looking for purpose and meaning in the workplace and in whatever environment, whether they start their own company or they're a part of a company, uh, more and more as we have these socioeconomic freedoms in our life, we are seeking a deeper sense of meaning. And so purpose has become a really prominent part and cornerstone of all of our lives. Um, I'll talk about the process that I have created, and you'll probably hear my Canadian in that, the, the process and not the process. Um, but I'll talk about the the simple process that I have created and, and realized works incredibly well for a lot of people um, just based off of the work that I've done over the past decade. And the way that I like to describe uh, purpose is that there's three, there's three energies. And what I want to give people is really a compass to understand how to move closer towards purpose and what moves them further away from purpose. Because we often think about purpose as like this you know, Everest destination, which it's not. P- purpose is, is always a moving target and we are on the, on the journey towards it constantly. And sometimes we are much closer to it and sometimes we are much further away. And there are specific things that will move us further away or get us closer to it. So the first, the first level or the first energy that I'll talk about is the level and the energy of contraction. And the, the energy of contraction is really, you can think about it as the, the energy of inauthenticities. So when we make decisions and choices that are out of alignment with who we know ourselves to be or who we know we want to become, these choices and decisions will move us further away from our purpose because they create inauthenticities. And inauthenticities, a very simple way to think of them are just as lies. Inauthenticities are just forms of lies. So when we are being inauthentic in our lives, whether it's in our relationship or in our career uh, or just with ourselves, we are lying in some way because it's untrue. What it's uh, what we're choosing is untrue to our inherent nature or who we actually want to be in the world. And so contraction shows up when when we choose something that moves us into that space. So let's just use a career as an example. Let's say that you have always wanted to start your own company, um, but you are in the space of being a part of a very good company and you've got what I call the golden handcuffs. You've got a really great, well-paying job for a reputable company with a great name on it, right? You work for somebody like Google or Apple or SpaceX and you get to you know, go tell people that you work for those companies and there's a certain amount of prestige that comes with that. But in your core of who you are, you really want to start your own business. And that's what's true for you. That's what's authentic. And you've worked for this company for however long, four, five, six years. And you're at this company and you say, you know what? I really want to start my own business. That's what I know is true for me. And that's what I know would move me closer to purpose. But you get an offer from another prestigious company making double what your salary is. And suddenly you're met with this decision of where do I, where do I want to go? The person that makes the decision to take the job when what they know in the core of their being, intuition, intuitionally, is to go and start their own company, to use this opportunity to springboard off and start their own business, <clears throat> excuse me, um, versus the person that decides to, to take that job. The person that decides to take that job will, will know 
that they are being inauthentic to who they who they believe themselves to be or who they'd like to become. And because of that, it'll cause contraction. And these small decisions and these big decisions that we make that create contraction, we can feel it and we can feel it in our body. We can hear it in our thoughts. You know, those, the, the inner critic will inevitably jump up and be like, ah, look at the, I can't believe you're doing this. Of course you would make this decision. Like you're not good. I told you you're not good enough to, to go and start your own company. And the inner critic will immediately pop up and make us feel smaller. It'll embed some shame into our lives, maybe some anger, some resentment towards the other people in our lives that are doing what we actually want to be doing. And that contraction over time will shrink us. And in terms of contraction, that leads us down a very slippery slope where some people find themselves at rock bottom because the more we lie, the more we contract, the more that we are inauthentic, the further away from ourselves we perceptually get and the further away from other people that we get. So that's the first energy. The second stage is a little sneakier and a little bit more sleuth. And that second level is the level of stagnation. And the energy of stagnation, oddly enough, is where we are playing mediocre. And for a lot of people, this, in, in especially in North American culture and, and in some European cultures, this is sort of the playing field that we aim for. We aim for this very comfortable, um, relaxed life where we don't really feel a lot of pressure. We don't feel uh, like we have a lot of responsibilities or specifically, then this is the important part. This is the really key part for both contraction and stagnation. We don't have the responsibilities that we actually crave and desire hmm. because we all crave and desire some form of responsibility. No one wants to be responsibility less because it would take them out of our role as human beings. We would, we would be trying to remove ourselves from the actual existence that we inhabit, right? We, we all have responsibilities. We can't shirk them. We can't neglect them or we can, but we'll feel like shit about them. So, so stagnation, the energy of stagnation is kind of interesting because this is where, you know, some people have success in their life and they get to a certain point and they kind of peak, you know, they, they plateau a little bit and they've been in the same job for a few years and they feel like they were crushing it at some point, but now they're starting to feel like they're not growing and they're not moving closer towards goals. They're not even really too sure what their goals are. They're, you know, it's harder to get out of bed in the morning. They're watching, you know, countless hours of Netflix at night. The potato chips are coming out in force. And for me, it's ice cream, uh, chocolate ice cream specifically. Uh, and, and we can feel this energy of stagnation start to show up where we just, we feel like we're coasting a little bit and we don't want to move up or down because either one seems like a risk and stagnation usually shows up when we are afraid of taking risks. And usually if we stay in stagnation for too long, it inevitably leads to contraction. And we know this, we can feel it in our bodies. And again, this is a form of inauthenticity and we can hear it in our thoughts. You know, if we are in the job that's been uh, kind of plateaued for a while, or we feel like we're not learning or growing in some capacity, then we're going to feel stagnant. Maybe we've been around the same people for too long, et cetera, et cetera. So the key to purpose, how I define purpose is that I just relabel purpose as one word, which is expansion and purpose 
is expansion. When we are in the energy of purpose, anyone that has ever said, I really feel like I'm living my purpose right now, what they, what they will continue or, or go on to define to you and unpack for you is that they are expanding mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually, relationally, communally. They are expanding. And they are expanding in as many ways as humanly possible. They are taking smart risks. They are putting themselves outside of their comfort zone. They are expanding their edge. They are playing a, a quote-unquote bigger game. They are allowing themselves to move towards using the gifts that they have in their life that they love to use. They are moving towards producing results in their lives that actually matter. And that is a really important part of expansion because so many of us produce really good results that we don't give a shit about. We produce products that we don't care about. We offer services that we don't give a crap about. And then we wonder at the end of the day when we've made the hundred grand or the $500,000 and our business is doing well, why we feel stagnant or contracting when we tell people how well things are going. And that's the, those are some of the really important parts about purpose is that it will expand you. Not it should, it will expand you. And the, the last piece that I'll say about expansion is that it's uncomfortable and it should be a little uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable because you are doing one thing that I think is so important. Let's say two things, but the one thing is that you are allowing change to change you. And I hear this big thing in the personal development space where we are trying to cause change to happen in our lives and it infuriates people because they can't seem to figure it out, right? We're like, oh, I need to figure out how to change. And what we do is we start to surrender to change. We say, okay, I'm going to allow change to mold me a little bit. I'm going to allow change to shape me. I'm going to allow change to change my life. And, and we just start to observe how change is showing up. And that becomes the inevitable expansion that we then feel. And the, and the second thing that we do is that we, we not only surrender to change, but we turn towards the unknown. The reason why purpose feels so good and feels so expansive is because we turn towards the unknown. We allow ourselves to say, you know what, I want to start this business and I know in every cell in my body that this is the right thing to do and I have no idea how it's going to pan out. None whatsoever. I don't know what it's going to like in 10 years or five years. I just don't know. And we move towards the unknown and we turn to it and we look it stra straight in the face and we say, teach me, let me have it, show me what I need to know in order to expand. And then we surrender and we allow that to happen. Um, so those are the three energies of purpose. And uh, thank you so much for letting me. Oh, that was just awesome. those. So with expansion, the final one, the you mentioned a phrase, smart risks, taking yeah. smart risks. Do you have any tips or tricks on how to determine if something's a smart risk versus a, a detrimental or a dumb risk? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of my other, I feel like I have a lot of beef with certain personal development things, <laughs> but one of my other, uh, like arch nemesis in the, in the personal development space is leap and the net will appear. Um, you know, I really struggle with that one and I, I struggle with it because the, the challenge with that, the challenge with leap and the net will appear is that oftentimes people take really stupid risks. And, you know, they've got $500 in the bank account. 
they've got a family to feed and they decide I'm going to quit my job today because I was at a personal development seminar and someone said leap and the risk leap and the, and the net will appear. And so I'm just going to do that. And, and that creates a huge, huge amount of stress and anxiety. It's irresponsible. And they find themselves two or three weeks later, unsure of how they're going to pay their rent, unsure of how they're going to feed their family. And that stress, that anxiety builds on top and we start to make decisions from fear and we start to make decisions out of fear. And when we are making decisions from that place, it's very hard for us to make smart, logical, rational decisions because our central, our, 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 um, our sympathetic nervous system that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze is in overdrive right? It's constantly going. It's like, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you even going to feed your family? How are you going to do all this? Like, are you sure you made the right decision? And then the doubt creeps in and the insecurities creep in and the worries creep in. And so smart risks are about assessing a situation and saying, what is a outside of a, like just a little beyond realistic uh, risk that I can make right now? What would it look like for me to quit my job? Like, if I set the goal of saying, okay, I want to have five grand or 50 grand, whatever it is in my account so I can feel comfortable quitting my job and starting my company. If you set that goal and you say, okay, that my goal is, is a smart risk for me would be $10,000, right? In my bank account. Great. You set an expectation for yourself. You set a goal for yourself, a goal line so that when you reach that point, it's still a risk, right? You are still taking a risk. But it's smart because what you are doing, smart risks mitigate some fears. They mitigate some anxiety, not all of them, because we can't mitigate all of them. And usually when people are trying to do that, they go into analysis paralysis and they're trying to mitigate all risk, which is almost an impossibility, I would say, in most situations. But they mitigate some risk. And here's the thing. Really smart risks mitigate the fears that we know will be crippling, right? So if you know for you, and everyone's a little bit different, this is why it's so important. If you know that for you, quitting your job in a month with what you have in your bank account is going to cause you crippling anxiety and worry and fear, that's not a smart risk because it's not setting you up for success. However, if you know that you had five or $10,000 in your bank account or $50,000 in your account, and you are going to quit your job then to start your business. That's a bit of a smarter risk because you are still taking a risk, but you're setting yourself up in such a way where you are relieving some of the fear and the anxiety so that you are at least, at the very least, building a bit of a runway for you to move towards your goal. So that's how I would define a smart risk. Yeah, that's great. No, that's really helpful. Um, I know we're up against it time-wise. I want to ask you one more question. Why in relationships is respect so important? Oh, man. <laughs> is that is that too big of a question with six no. minutes to go? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, why in relationships is respect so important? Oh, uh, I will simplify this by just quoting a man that was so much smarter and wiser and connected than, than I am right now. Um, but something that I inspired to. So, um, Friedrich Nietzsche once said, uh, intimacy 
is always bad intimacy unless done with an equal. And that, yeah, that quote really rung true with me because in the work that my wife Vienna and I have done, like I said before, she's a couples uh, counselor, relationship therapist here in New York. And she is, she's one of the most gifted people, the most gifted person that I know when it comes to relationships. And what I have seen and experienced in my own life is that there is always a lack of equality in a relationship unless you deeply and fundamentally respect the other person. And unless we respect the other person, we will always play the game of power dynamics. We will, we will constantly play the game of better than or worse than. Uh, we, will, we will play the game of who is the wrongdoer and who is the victim. But when there is, when there is an equality of respect present, we somehow shift into a space of almost assuming positive intent from our partner. And we say, you know what? I respect you so much that I believe your actions to be true because I respect you and I see you as my equal. Now the challenge comes is if we think really poorly of ourselves. <laughs> so if we, if we are, if we are riddled with, with not self doubt, but with a sense of self loathing, and we really truly dislike ourselves, then it's challenging to show up in a relationship and see someone as an equal because we don't want to see them in that light. We don't want to see the people that we love in the light of, of inequality or disrespect or loathing. And so it requires you know, to really find ourselves in a relationship where we fundamentally respect the other person and we see them as our equal. It actually requires us to work on ourselves first and foremost. And, you know, Vienna and I, with this seven-day relationship reset, the first day was actually today, um, but we started with self-awareness. And it's why self-awareness is so important, because if you struggle to respect yourself and the decisions that you make in your life, aka if you are constantly in a space of contraction, continually being inauthentic and lying to yourself, then you're going to struggle to be in a relationship with someone who you deeply uh, respect. And maybe you find yourself in the type of relationship where you respect the other person far more than yourself. And that can create its own sense of power dynamic because there's a neediness that often shows up where you need the other person to validate you and justify you and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in the simplest way possible, because I would love to, if you have one more question, I'd love to, to dive into that. Um, but in the simplest way possible, respect is so important in relationships because it evens the playing field and we can still be a leader in our relationship and have an equality of respect. Without mutual respect, is there any way a marriage can be a thriving marriage? Ooh, that is tough. What I will say is, um, again, someone much more experienced in this field than me is a gentleman by the name of Dr. John Gottman. And he's done a ton of research over the last 25, 30 years, so three decades of research. And what he has found is that he can listen to a couple communicate with each other, not argue, communicate with each other. uh, And he'll listen to about 24 to 25 hours of their communication. And he can predict with 94% accuracy whether that couple, whether that married couple will be divorced within the next seven years. 94 percent accuracy and then and the and he can listen to through this is the scary part he can listen to three minutes 
of their communication and predict with 80% accuracy. Wow. That's <laughs> so, crazy in this. So, yeah, it's nuts. Oh, and so wow. what he found was that the number one predictor of healthy long-term relationships is how we express appreciation. And appreciation is so important because when we respect someone, we are more inclined to share appreciation for them. We're more inclined to feel and experience appreciation for them. And we're more likely to make sure that they know that they are appreciated when that respect is present. Wow. That's it. That's good to end on right there. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. So, man, thank awesome. you so much for joining, Connor. This was I had an absolute blast. All right, team. Thank you so much for tuning into that interview that I did. And I hope you got some value out of that as it was jam-packed with the framework for purpose, along with a few other uh, hopefully helpful tidbits. Uh, but again, just to go over those things, the three main energies are contraction, stagnation, and expansion. And if you are looking to dig deeper into that structure, again, definitely apply to join us for one of the men's work weekends uh, or check out one of the singles or couples retreat that Vienna and I are doing this year as we've got some great programs for you to come and do some live work with us. So thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and share this episode. If you know someone that is trying to find a deeper sense of purpose in their life or that would just benefit from tuning into our show, definitely share this episode with them or one of your favorites and uh, appreciate everything that you do. Don't forget to tag us on Instagram when you share as I would love to give you a shout out. Until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thank you.